GM friends, and welcome to the future of gaming. You're listening to our weekly podcasts. Um, we've got the usual crew, Philip Collins, Devin Becker, myself, Nico Vreke, and we have a very special guest, Jonah Blake. Um, today, the plan is to talk about, um, I would say, uh, our special guest's takes on Web3 and games, the biggest value of NFTs and games, indie versus AAA, content creator and the founder dualities um and just yeah share our thoughts um insights and uh, see if we can draw some uh, interesting conclusions before you dive in so we know devon we know phil but we don't really know jonah or maybe some of the audience might not so jonah first of all welcome and super stoked that you can join us thank you for having me on um brief background i'm the chief gaming officer and uh, as well as manager of uh, both Game Fund Partners and Real Third Web for RE3W, which is a part of uh, the Mint that we're that we're doing currently. Um, we've invested in a few SPVs that we've uh, set up ourselves. Uh, the first being Discord. We're very happy with that, and two others I can't say yet, but they're they're very notable. Um, and then on the RE3W side, it's essentially a gaming entertainment media group, uh, specializing primarily in Web3, but. Uh, we do content and uh, both verticals. So I'm um, on my life goal list. I'm now putting the title Chief Gaming Officer because that yeah, just well, sounds. Uh, good, you know? I invented that title because when I started the when I started the company, I didn't know. I'm like, what What do I do? <laughs> like, like, uh, like, I guess we. I play games. I talk about games. We're investing in games. You know, I'm not the CIO by any measure. Uh, so I was like, well, what is my specialty? And I was like, all right, chief gaming officer. And I thought that was funny at the time. And everyone had like weird titles back then. And about a year later, I saw everyone else hiring chief gaming officers. I saw Yuga Labs hire a chief gaming officer. Uh, but I was, I was probably, the, probably the first three to put that title in, our, in my bio. So, did, did they try to hire you? For uh, Yuga? No, I've had uh, several other groups try and hire me. And one offered to acquire me. But Yugo wasn't on that list. Okay. It's funny how it's, it's kind of been a Web3 construct, right? I think at, at traditional gaming companies, the chief gaming officer a lot of times is the CEO yeah. in a lot of ways. And so it's, it's been an interesting new title that is very relevant in Web3, but definitely is It's is just novel. so weird, though. Like, what, what is a, a... I mean, there's so many different companies in which that means so many different things. And so it's just... Like a weird concept. I don't care. I'm stealing it. I'm like gaming lead at Nami, and I'm like, that doesn't sound as cool as chief gaming officer, so I'm changing it. I guess I am the king of the gaming analyst. It's kind of like the way I think of that role, right? There, there, there are gaming analysts. There's analysts, or I mean, banking, they call it TMT, right? And that's really boring. No mm -hmm. one knows what TMT means, right? So I'm just, I'm chief gaming officer. It's sort of like, you know, private equity TMT analysts, kind of. Mm -hmm. it's just more fun so Definitely. i agree i agree i um no i think it's a it's a cool name you should stick with it um i mentioned a few topics that mm -hmm. we could discuss but bef because it's still january i was thinking jonah why don't you give us a spicy prediction for what free gaming in 2023 because that's what we like here uh, spicy uh i do spicy a lot probably there you go I'm not bullish on the other side. <laughs> so, and and uh, that's not spicy in the normal world, but in the world that we live in, that's considered a spicy take because there's a lot of people who put a lot of money in. And so I call it bagatitis. They have bagatitis. Um, 
let's see what else i think assuming apple relaxes then mobile gaming wins but i so i was reading um a report i'm forgetting his name i think mike sufert he's a mobile gaming expert mm. and i and i actually mm. agree with a lot of his analysis um I'm not in Web3 assuming that we're going to make a billion dollars this year. I think it's going to be two to five years before like anything. We make a billion dollars? Well, depends on make because we, we got a lot. Four billion was put in. So you hope to get more than four billion out. I'm not so confident on how much you're going to get out of that. Um, that's, I mean, all of our investments on Game Fund Partners are primarily Web2. You know, I, I sit in both angles. Mm. Like I worked in this space before Web3, you know, my first article in NFTs was April 2018. So, like, I've been in this space for a while, and I, I know the, both sides of it. I think Web3 Gaming is the end result of innovation, but I think we're still a considerable while away. I had um, Ken Wee, who's the chief strategy officer of Activision Blizzard, on my podcast yesterday, and him and I kind of agreed, you know, we're going to see a lot of innovation this year, but I think it's going to be two or three years before a real AAA game gets normal players like interested in whatever this space becomes. I don't think those were spicy. Well, it's spicy. It depends on the con- like. It's not spicy for people probably. <laughs> yeah. Us, but um, on Twitter, when I say that, it becomes like a uh, fire to the fuel. But people know me for that at this right. point. Um, I I've given a lot of crap to a lot of projects. I get I I lit a fire on Bonk Token last week. It was like. Uh, Solana the week before that, other side before that. I always pick something that people, uh, yeah, there's a lot of people who would like to see me fail, I think. <laughs> so No, I mean, I think it's, it's an interesting point because, Joan, I spend a lot of time split between Web 2, Web 3. I actually lean more towards the, the Web 2 side of things as well. And the, the takes that you have definitely never please anyone yeah. because both sides have such different expectations where um, they're, they're kind of opposite thinking. And so, yeah, you can, you can set off the Web 3 crowd, but it's almost like the, the common expectation of, of the traditional gaming crowd. And somebody's always unhappy with, with whatever you say. So that's, that's totally goes. fair. But yeah, what's, yeah. what's the most controversial opinion uh, you guys have for Web3? That would mean controversial in our in our world would mean that you think something's going to make a lot of money. <laughs> so, do you think any of these are going to make a lot of money this year? Like uh, any game project? I'll give I'll give one of my controversial okay. ones that I think a lot of like non like people that are active in this space, not on the mm-hmm. professional level, but on a more speculative yep. level, um, will, will will not like. And so that take is that I I believe that speculating on NFTs within games. Is going to be a like a net negative expected value activity. I don't think you can make any significant amount of money by doing that. Um, there probably will be edge cases like single NFTs yeah. that will do well, but like even even if you know more than the markets and you have insider information, you have good old alpha. I think you still would be better off focusing on, on like you know companies and 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 revenue generating. You know, or tokens you mean, that you are mean reading a real 10K and protocols. not reading a JPEG? Uh, yeah. well, yes and no, because I think you can... My point is also, I, I guess, one of the parts of that prediction is that I think that NFTs are a suboptimal value accrual system. Mm-hmm. So if you're building out a game, um, most games will have NFTs, but also fungible tokens. And I think that fungible tokens, which are like easily divisible, will always be a 
strictly better means of value accrual than like these NFTs, which are like way harder to de de uh, devise and to you know they also have to be able to to do things within the game. And so I think that NFTs specifically are going to be just a bad asset to invest in. And if you you can probably make way better money if you're investing in games as a you know just a a like an a investor without any access by focusing on more fundamentals. So I'll tell you my thoughts on that. And as somebody who has a gaming-related uh, NFT coming out next week, uh, I'll give you... I will, I will not BS you and say, like, oh, you're going to make a ton of money. <laughs> like, we, no, that is not a, a forward-looking forward statement or expectation. Uh, I pay lawyers enough money to know the rules. Um, but what I, what I can say is I agree with you, but I think for different reasons because I don't think fungible tokens are the secret unlock either um, for many reasons, because I've played a lot of them. So the first thing about gaming NFTs and why they don't have initial resale value is because they're dependent on the actual cultural implications of the game, as well as the actual core loop of the game versus an NFT outside of those things is based either on momentum trading, liquidity, or relevance to the art asset itself. So they're like gaming NFTs are inherently very different from other NFT assets. It's actually way more granular. People put NFTs all into one box, but there's like five different asset classes within NFTs that have different trading patterns. So when I think of gaming NFTs, you have to look at the, the first model that worked, which is CSGO. And mm -hmm. if you look at CSGO or Dota 2 or any of these games that are Valve centric, um, their values were not initially like at launch, the game had to reach cultural sustainability in order for the asset to maintain value. So whereas regular NFTs make are actually worth more in the beginning, gaming NFTs are actually, in my opinion, end stage products where their value is actually at the end life of a game that's already proven its, its uh, replayability. So inherently, any gaming NFT that you buy is going to be likely net zero up front unless it unless it's like Valorant or something and it just like, you know, very, very rare edge case. The other reason is something that I think is a very hot take. And I'll explain how we think about our NFT to a degree because there's a reason why we do the things we do. I don't think most NFTs should be liquid. Um, they're actually not designed to be liquid. These, they're called non-fungible for a reason. Actually, the fact, the less liquidity in it, the NFT has to have less liquidity and more demand for the value to actually make sense than having high demand, high liquidity. Because when you have high demand, high liquidity in any game project, it always goes to net zero, which is why we're doing free NFTs. We'll explain like how that works. But as someone who's either bought a lot of assets and looked a lot of assets, the, the pattern, has, for me at least, has remained relatively true um, to these values. And um, you can look at like the limit break contracts, like obviously Gabriel Layden kind of understands this if you look at how he's programming royalties. Um, but yeah, I think gaming NFTs, I still think gaming NFTs are more valuable than gaming tokens because almost all gaming tokens will go to zero all the time. Um, mainly because you have, you have um, how do I say, reward systems that either are introverted in nature or extroverted in nature. And every reward system that relates to a fungible currency are almost always extroverted, which means it's money flowing out of the system. And there's almost no game that can cycle that back into the system unless they are their own fed. Meaning, uh, I'll give you an example of, it, of a good one, Gala. 
So Gala realized this now. Uh, their token has gone very low, even though it's a publisher token, which means it's multiple games. And they realize that they have to burn in order to get that value back to increase the demand because scarcity is actually be a better demand driver than liquidity, if you think about it. Because as it's, demand is not correlated to liquidity. That's what people don't understand in this space. Demand is cultural drive and utility of the asset. And then liquidity is determined by the code of the NFT itself. Um, it's kind of like how I think about it. But Gala is burning their Gala tokens in order to move to their own L1, which has provided some demand, which has provided them actually more liquidity by burning, which has allowed them to go buy another mobile game studio and do whatever they're going to do. Um, does any of that make sense? It, it might seem like a little confusing. Could you define liquidity, liquidity is for you? Uh, in NFTs, which is going to be different than in Web 2's version of liquidity, not that different, is how likely you are to sell the minute, the floor of an asset and the time it takes to sell that floor. So is there demand one, but two, is there a buyback system in which you can exit the asset um, readily rather than hold on to the asset and hope for a liquidity event? The difference between a liquidity event is that there's a massive unlock, like how there's token unlocks, which is why they go to zero because people want to get their money. Uh, you saw that with FaceClan, <laughs> so, uh, and that's a Web2 company. Uh, or the example, yeah, I would say that's a fair example. So liquidity event is different than day-to-day -day liquidity. If that makes, does that make sense, or should I, should I simplify a little further? Okay, so I'll further give you an example. Um, Game one and game two. So game one is a deviation of Board API Club. So it's owned by Board API Club, which already has a lot of buyers and sellers who are trading very quickly. So game one is going to have more liquidity because it's a it's uh, sharing the liquidity pool of the Board API Club assets. So there's a lot of buyers, a lot of sellers doing daily trades. Game two is, I don't know, uh, a new startup. They have a AAA studio. It's worth $15, $30 million dollars not fit worth it's has 15 30 million in the bank to go make a game and they're just starting their marketing but they've they don't have any prior buyers and sellers well that might have a lot of hype but the liquidity might be low because they're waiting for a liquidity event which is either the game releases they announce some earning mechanic or they announce some other variable which signals a buyer and seller uh, high frequency demand and most of these are bots by the way so the the thing that people don't know web 2 is most of the liquidity in web 3 is not real it's actually wash trading. So look, like everyone thinks they have liquidity, but almost no one has liquidity. It's, it's a mirage. So illiquidity is actually the advantage. Fair. Okay. I wanted to, uh, to touch upon your point of all fungible tokens get, or fun all fungible game tokens will go to zero, you think, right? Or that, that's, what you, that's pretty much what we said. I would say you probably meant that all uncapped gaming related fungible tokens um are so all, all are all like mineable or extractable gaming related fungible tokens will go to zero or is that not the case oh i mean i could be wrong but i almost believe they all go to zero um can i can i tell you why it's for one very simple reason and it has nothing to do with web3 it has to do with um the life cycle of a game it's not, it's not normal for World of Warcraft to be 10 years old and still doing more than 10 and do incredibly well. It's not normal for CSGO to do that. These are not normal things that occur in gaming. 
there's like 5,000 games a year that get launched on Steam. You only hear maybe about 30 of them. And of the 30, maybe two have cultural relevance that last more than three years. So you're telling me every five years, there's a game or three or four games that can last more than five years. So you're telling me that your chances of finding a fungible token that can survive the life cycle of five years is like almost nearly a complete waste of time. So like the reality is games die and they, that's normal. They're supposed to die mostly unless you can find a way to turn them into a metaverse metaverse. Uh, and that's another thing. I'm one of the few. Yeah. Well, that's very so, much the, uh, the fight club on a long enough timeline. Everything, you know, goes to zero. The survival rate of everything drops to zero essentially. And so like, it is important, I think, to define the that's window yeah. that you're talking about. Like if you're talking about six months versus five years, so I think that's an important qualifier saying like within five years in general. Okay, but so so let's establish zero. that then. Let's play that scenario. Then we're playing a game of chicken because Nico is very smart, right? Like he knows a lot about the market versus Jimmy plays Call of Duty and he works, you know, for a construction firm. He's a very great guy, very smart guy, but he knows nothing about game economics. And so Nico is going to have an advantage to buy this token at month one. Jimmy, who just learned about the game, is going to buy the token at month five. And by month six or seven, the thing is going to go to zero anyway, because Nico goes, oh, I know. I'm just scenario. I'm not speaking for Nico. Oh, I know this game's going to zero because the next the new game's coming out and they're not they're not transporting the old token or there's another game that's reaching hype. And so people are going to take their liquidity out of the market, which is going to lower the price and they're going to go to that next game. Which is, which is why I largely believe in publisher tokens. I don't believe in game tokens, um, me personally. I would say every currency is a game of chicken, though, in the real right, world, but too. The, well, I mean, I guess the, the United States has been around for a, a few centuries, so the game of chicken's a lot longer. But yes, yeah. Oh, yeah, but I think it's still at the end of the day, like history's proven every yeah, currency absolutely. is a game of chicken. Absolutely, it's, it's just scale. like, what's your time horizon? But yeah, I agree. Right. So we all buy Bitcoin. Yeah. That's why I struggle a little bit with fungible tokens more broadly in games is just the lack of stability. I mean, I think to Jonah's point on timeline, if you look at the United States dollar, that is a stable currency, although, you know, there's always the risk that currencies can fluctuate, but in the grand scheme of things, it is predictable and you generally know what the value of one one unit of currency will provide you and I think that's what I struggle with a little bit in some fungible token games even when the economy's working, having to Nico's point, you know, speculation isn't necessarily great at the core of, of video games and i think that even if you are there for the right reasons and you're not there to speculate and actually play the game you are inherently speculating by owning the currency and you don't necessarily know what one item is going to cost and and how many units of of that currency um and, and that, that's where i struggle with that and, and sometimes see nfts as a better store or you know transfer of value in a lot of these games i think it's a little bit maybe more predictable or directly applicable to the gameplay versus having people just kind of drag up or down. And by the way, we figured out how to, we've, we've just figured out, uh, Gabriel Layden did some of these contracts that we could, we could create consumable NFTs with, uh, with a stable price. So he, and, and if you read some of the contract work and I, I know some great devs who have varying opinions, right? If you read some of the contract work, the thing that is interesting is not just that the contracts that he's wrote as a rapper not only work with minimum floor price, but they actually work with maximum floor pr uh, maximum price as well. And so um, huh. in a game without having a fungible token, you could have consumable NFTs that are meant to expire. And for example, let's say you want a potion, but the potion's an NFT. Well, if your game 
if your game is like a World of Warcraft, the potion can't be worth like $100,000 because there's only like 500 a day because then no one's going to want to play the damn game because they actually need the potion to get to the raid and do the whole thing. But you could have a, a potion that ranges from $50 to $100 because the minimum floor price is 50 the maximum is 100 and the market can, can set its price during the day and you can make a little more money off the top, but it's never going to reach a point where the game becomes unplayable. Um, so there, now we can do consumable NFTs as well that don't function like tokens, but do have other use cases within um, the game that provide an economic value. And, you know, we can take 10% off the top, 5%, whatever the royalty is. Funny things, we could have already always done all of that. It's always been yeah. fully programmable. It was just a case of like getting enough buy-in. And like, I'd say the ba the main leverage that, uh, you know, what Gabe proposed, for example, or Limit Break rather, is just them trying right. to get marketplace buy-in and get people to actually adopt that stuff, just like any other standard, right? And so like ERC-721, for example, like, you know, managed to get enough traction to build enough standard to build kind of a market through 2021 into 2022. And then now it's like, okay, well, we need to like, evolve that but we also need to come up with standards to evolve too and i mean maybe it'll be one maybe it won't but i think it highlights that all this is programmable and we need to stop thinking in terms of like oh this is what 721 does it's like well so there was yeah, nothing before exactly. that like you, you just made it up like it's all make-believe so let's like actually start thinking out of the box a little bit in terms of economic controls and whether or not we want those like there's for example price controls are a thing in real life but we see also a lot of downsides to those things too and so it's like that's why we start looking at real world economic stuff to go okay well is there stuff we could learn from this does it make sense but also questioning those assumptions and going maybe it does make sense in the game world but doesn't make sense in real life and we start experimenting with that stuff i expect half the stuff will fail but i think it'll be fun yeah experiments. i agree with that mm -hmm. um yeah probably uh Probably more than half will fail. So I, I yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, probably. But I, I'm I'm 100 in favor of of the experimentation. I'm not saying that fungibles shouldn't exist. I'm just saying that they have a shelf life that is a lot shorter than NFTs, and that's why I prefer NFTs. Let's talk about this, yeah. right? So you're saying games have a let's say life cycle of five years on average, right? It's probably even less on average, right? A good game has a life cycle. Uh, yeah. yeah. Five 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 years yeah. if you're a really good game. It's about six to eight months. So. Yeah. Okay, but then explain to me why, like, how then an NFT does retain value if the game's gone because anyway? Because, it, well, it's collector's value one, right? And okay, yeah. but, okay, 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 okay. Collector's value, which is going to be minimal, right? And it's never going to be as much as, like, it's never going to cover the util utility value of an NFT during the life cycle of the game. Uh, I would disagree with that okay, to but a degree. My, but yeah, my, go. Yeah, sorry. Well, I guess, so... I think um, it feels like we're, we're talking about different uh, types of uh, fungible tokens, I guess, right? I, I think um, my point was that in the end, any type of high expected value return that you can get from investing in a game will be from a asset that accrues value through revenue that's generated within the game. And... What I'm talking about here is, is I, I would say, the AXS model, mm. which is that um, AXS is a governance token or in, in a sort of ownership token over a treasury that accrues revenues that is generated through the gameplay loop, right? Which is, in itself, without the, the, the everything around it, what happened with, with Axie is a, a sustainable model, right? There is fun being created. People are willing to pay for that. And so there is a... There's, there's money or value being generated and that is being funneled towards a pool over which one 
asset has like a value accrual over, if that makes sense. And so I think that's fundamentally the most sustainable way in which you can have value accrual to tokens, either fungible or non-fungible. And I think that's, well, I'm actually, I'm convinced that, because I've thought about this quite a lot, actually, that if you as a game designer want to design such a system where there is value accrual towards an asset, it is strictly better as a founder to have that asset be fungible because you want to own that asset yourself. You want to be able to sell a part of your holdings and you don't want to be, you don't want to have it necessary to be able to like be in a game and use your NFTs within a game for you to, to you know, benefit from the assets that you hold. Um, in addition, like investors also come into play here and investors will also always want to hold fungible tokens um, before uh, non-fungible so, tokens. But I what I would say where I disagree, two reasons why I would, I'm not going to say strongly disagree. I'd say lightly disagree because disagreeing is has a spectrum like all things. Um, one, if there is a return on the token, well, right now I live in the United States, so that, that's kind of screwed for me, um, unless the laws change. But the second is that why wouldn't I just be a VC then? It's kind of like my thing because the returns then are much greater if I'm a VC doing exactly what you said is getting a re getting some of the revenue of the game or being a publisher which is getting some of the revenue of the game, maybe um, offering a finance advance on uh, expected ad revenues or other revenues, right? Factor banking or other things that have already existed in Web 2. Um, although factor banking is kind of hard because Apple screwed them. So, But um, what I would say with the NFTs is I think, as Devin said, NFTs are highly programmable. So everything you said I can do with an NFT. So I like, for example, with our NFT, I'm holding a hundred of them. I'm not, and I'll do them for giveaways and other things. But if we had a game, which we're not building a game right now, I would just put them in a staked wrapper and have rewards or in-game earnings, whether that be uh, materials, uh, skins, whatever. I would mandate that you have to stake that in our wrapper contract. And then you get those returns anyway, which you could then sell in the market if people have a demand for it. And I wouldn't need a fungible token to do that. And it makes I also everything have a big problem with what you said, Nico. Too, but we can get to that in a second. Okay. Yeah. I mean, apparently, we're not shitting on anyone else. We're shitting on me again today. That's that's totally. <laughs> I didn't fine, know that way. was. I. I um, you know. I haven't had a chance yeah, to shit on you. Jody please, yet. Please, please. So yeah. I'm waiting. I love that. No, I think. Um, yeah, I, 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 again, like disagree with lightly. Let's say disagree with with your take, Jonah. Um, I agree that through programmability, we can do a lot of cool things with NFTs, and I think we will. But again, I think, you know, what you mentioned about, you know, putting them in a contract and creating a wrapper, um, all of that is unnecessarily complex versus what you really want to do. And I'm, I'm not saying that games should only have fungible mm -hmm. tokens, right? What I'm saying is games should have a separation between value accrual and utility. And the games that do that well will do that through fungible tokens because having value accrual at a NFT level just doesn't make realistic sense if we assume that the separation of utility and value accrual um, I'd, agree is, is with, I'd agree with that part of what you said but but it's also inevitable right i mean to to the point games have life cycles short or long and i think the point of buying these assets for the gamers that are there for the right reason are to maximize your experience while playing the game right so you know wh whether it lasts for three years or five years if i buy a dragon lore op skin in, in counter-strike it's there because I want to show off while I'm playing the game and maybe I'll be able to flip it, flip it later on. But I think the core motivation for buying most items are 
like flexing or, or enhancing your perception of your own gaming experience. And so I do think that worrying about the, the life or death cycle of the games is kind of going back to like the speculative core that's been a problem to a lot of mm-hmm. Web3 games. And I think as, as we move forward and as good games come out, whatever timeline that is, I think we'll hopefully start to see more more traditional mental models for making purchasing decisions than worrying about the life cycle. Because I think, to Jonah's point, it's kind of inevitable on the fungible and I think on the non-fungible side that eventually it's collector's value. And even if not everything goes to zero, 99% of games are approaching zero on the value of their token. And I think ultimately the NFT, um, once that once that And that's just not games, that's all consumer content because it's, it's, cons- it's yeah. consumption content yeah. and games are included in that. I, I'm going to use an example that you guys are probably going to hate because I always use an example is trading card games in the sense that they go through these these life cycles pretty quickly too uh, outside of like some of the big successful ones. And so it's the same situation where most of them have these very short life cycles. They fail and they also live and die off their live ops. So like they live and die based off of like people releasing content because you could say, oh, hey, I could still play all these cards from this game that's failed indefinitely right like like imagine like the game lives on the the blockchain indefinitely but it's never being updated right it's the same kind of situation like let's say splinterlands tomorrow said we're not updating this anymore we're going to release the entire game onto the blockchain uh it's now community maintained we're not going to do anything with it anymore and the game then is essentially dead despite the fact that you could still actively play it because it doesn't have active live ops development anymore. So, like, you go back to, like, the original trading card game, Magic, still had, like, a lot of those old cards still have value, uh, collector value, partially because the game's still running. Now, if the game was to die, there would still be a a small handful of cards that would have collector value. Like, I'm sure, like, a Black Lotus would still matter to some people afterwards, but overall, like, the majority of the cards would just go to zero. And there would be, like, certain ones that are iconic in some way or have collector's value that would retain value but most of them would just die because they weren't culturally relevant to jonah's point about the the cultural relevance right and so uh it's interesting to see like some of these like longer term ones that can last a while like kind of build up that cultural cachet to be able to maintain some of that value and you have like people that actually invest in magic cards like there's been you know these alpha groups and stuff like that but in general investing in trading card games is also just as stupid as investing as in NFTs and games. And I think that's why trading cards are, you know, like a great parallel because they've, they paralleled this idea of like a game that has a secondary market built in and they've lasted, you know, 30 years. So we can see the history of these sorts of things, both from the game that's lasted the entire time span, which is magic, which Hasbro's doing their best to kill again. Uh, and then all these other ones that have lasted shorter periods, even ones like Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh that have also gone through phases and things like that. And, and so it's really interesting to see like the outliers versus the small ones. Like, for example, the first like few years after Magic, if you look at even just like the Wikipedia entry for trading card games, like the amount of c- trading card games that died just during the, the, like, the first few years of Magic was crazy. The amount that were put out and just died almost immediately. And it's, it's sort of parallel to all these Web3 games just coming out and then the value all just crashes yeah. to zero. Like... And that's, we're going to see a lot of that. It's just going to be a graveyard for a while. Mm-hmm. And that, so that's what happened with Magic, where you had this thing where it was just like everyone was trying jumping in, turned to this giant graveyard where only a few things survived, mostly just Magic, outside of a few things that made, managed to like take off in Japan, like Duel Masters, for example. And then like, then there's this lull period where like people are just like, ah, oh, you know, like these crypto mm-hmm. winters. And then people kind of come back again when like it comes back. And part of that was due to actually like, uh, Wizards go screwing their own magic market by overprinting and a lot and re- doing reprints and a lot of other issues, but like it went through these market cycles as well. 
similar to kind of what we see in Web3. So it's it's interesting to see the, see the parallels. Not everything is like perfectly aligned, right? But mm-hmm. like there is a history we can look at of a game that's not just like Steam Marketplace or like trading in Eve or something that actually has like a real world physical history of unrestricted, like fully unrestricted secondary markets uh, with prices that are completely market. Well, it's funny though, you mentioned um, the CSGO market. They, they have really interesting rules. Like you can't, they, um, they already solved loss trading a while ago. Uh, right, they, they programmed it. So, so when you buy an asset, I think there's a three to seven day hold period. You can't, you can't quick flip in the market. Yeah, right. I think it's seven. Um, and funny enough, people are like, think that NFTs invented royalties. No, like Steam takes a royalty as well. Um, so like, uh, we've done this before. I think there's a lot of value to the gaming NFT market. I do not see it as investments. I think you can't. I think about it like, um, you know, hobby collectibles, like anything else. And it's, I, I think it's very similar to, I think NFTs are not a evolution of gaming altogether yet. It could be, but an evolution of the pre-order market, um, which is very different from an investing. It is a, is a, a token of time and presence mixed with collectability on the basis that you're going to enjoy an experience you're going to consume is how I think about it rather than, yeah. I would say though, on the short term, the very, very short term, you can invest. It's on a medium, a long term, well, yeah, it's well, just yeah. unsustainable. Like if you're, if you're like, you know, I'm going to buy this now and I'm going to sell it in a week. Like that kind of investing, I, if you want to Tra- call it trading, investing yeah. or day trading, whatever you want to call it, that kind of is, is doable. Like I see the same thing in collectible game market, right? Where, you know, like in the next set of cards, like it's going to do something that boosts like a previous card that, it happens to be a rarer card and the value of that card's going to go up because it's going to become meta for like three months, right? You can short-term invest in that, but obviously like six months down the road, that might not be true anymore and you're not holding it for the long term. But I think if you wanted to speculative trade, if you keep your time runs really, really short, you can do it, right? All well, these well Devin, you know, the, you know the card game right but, now and, yeah. and the magic market's not too happy. I mean, we already saw and, and, and right. so neither is the Dungeons and Dragons market. These are all two, those are two, oh, you God, know, yeah. uh, OGL license. That's all other thing you talk about. But I would say all the ones that are anti-OGL license yeah, are good investments that's right. right now, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. So yeah. um, it's, it's just interesting. There's just different parallels. Uh, the only thing I wanted to say about what you said earlier, Nico, that I think is worth clarifying is that when you're talking about AXS in, in uh, as a like a governance token and all these other things, first off, I disagree that it's primarily a governance token because it's treated treated primarily more as a second utility token than anything else in terms of the way most people use it. But that, you know, that's somewhat semantics, right? The the problem I have with talking about it, the way you were talking about it is that a lot of that value isn't driven by fun. It's still a lot of speculation, whether it be speculation on, Hey, I'm going to be successful in this season and get more AXS by like investing my SLP. Cause you're talking about SLP and other things mm-hmm. sort of like the, that sort of, transactional nature accruing value to axs but a lot of that is people speculating on either their own performance or the performance of the market or the performance of axs like a lot of that stuff is still very speculative even if there's like a core player base that's having fun like a lot of people are still also doing things even if it's like short-term speculative thinking and i think you know it helps to broaden out also like what we think of as speculative right like obviously thinking hey maybe i'll make it this esports season like is a speculative thing but also like you could also consider that fun. That's where it kind of gets a little bit gray line. But I think it's worth considering that, like, even in games, like, some gameplay spending can be seen as speculative. 
especially when there's like governance tokens involved that are controlling a treasury that's based off of spending in game and stuff like that. Um, but that being said, like there's there's a bit of semantics there, and like I don't think you're wrong, but I think it's worth adding that note that like yes. there is also a lot there. I should have said AXS as a purely like without utility and. You know, right. my, 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 my point was that a game can exist yeah. where there's a potentially sustainable revenue stream. And I think everyone realizes that the amount of revenue that was accrued under the AXS treasury was inflated by 99% thanks to play <laughs> to earn. Right. So, but I get your points. Um, but I, I, I still truly believe, because we mentioned the Counter-Strike skin market for a bit. Like, would you like to own 10 Dragon Lores? The first, let's say, the first one Dragon Lore op skin, or do you do you would you prefer to own its equivalent value on day one in Valve stock? Phil, what's your answer? Hmm. I mean, if I'm a speculator, I'm a, if I'm a speculator, I'm taking the Valve stock because I can't get liquidity for my Dragon Lore without using third-party channels, but um. I think I'd, I'd probably go Valve stock just because it's more diversified over the long term. I think if I'm if I'm trying to maximize my earnings value, if I'm trying to maximize my enjoyment, I think I'll go for the Dragon Lore if I'm a yes. Counter Strike player. And so, yeah, I think that's that's the that's the dynamic. And so, just you know, for me, that's that's the way I'm thinking about this more. Is that I think, you know, in general, I'm I'm very strongly against people trying to invest in games, right? Because I don't think it makes any sense. Um, but if people would, and I like, I strongly believe that it's not like the money is not going to be made in NFTs. That's just my general take. And I think if there's money to be made by an average person, it's going to be through well-designed games that are really fun and that have inherent revenue-driving activities based around fun, where the revenue accrue in a token. And I believe that that token most efficiently and in most cases. Hey, Nico, will be what, 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 that's, uh, <laughs> what if we tokenize the shares? <laughs> Let, let's take all the value. Well, <laughs> I mean, that, that's. Yeah. No, no, but it's not even. That, that's yeah. a good point, right? And that's also my point, right? I think that's, for me, you know, there's a world where everything will be tokenized just because it makes so much more fun. Again, I live in the United States. The, like, if you sneeze wrong, it could be illegal. But what I would say is that if there is a world where CSGO had its own, if, if Valve, each Valve token was an actual share in the company, that would be very interesting to me. I don't know what that would look like. I don't know how that would pan yeah. out, but that would be a very attractive thing. Um, that different than a fungible so, token. You know, the way stock markets are designed was to solve a lot of problems of liquidity and transparency, right? Because you get a piece of paper, like originally you got a piece of paper, you didn't know what it means, and like now you have these electronic stock exchanges and brokers that keep track of what right. you own. The thing is, now that we have the blockchain, we don't need all of that anymore, right? The blockchain, Bitcoin fixes this, as 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 they say. Obviously, it's not right. Bitcoin, right? But, um, you know, a lot of these technologies, like I own stocks, like I invested very early in a mm -hmm. Chinese company. And so now I, you know, the amount of hoops I have to jump through to when that's company sold to get my 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 shares onto something where i can sell them that was just it was crazy um and so it's super inefficient and so you know i think it would make sense for that to move over to the blockchain and tokenized um but it, uh, it's going to take a while but i, I do believe i think you have to go future. through a lot of problems first to figure out all the things that need to be codified 
because I think like so for example you take this the, the simple example of like getting a a, uh, a refund on something right like that idea where like there's all this permanence and stuff uh, like so you, you take like this idea of you know regulation and all the other stuff that you're talking about right a lot of that developed by trying to solve problems. Now, of course, in theory, we could solve a lot of problems with code too, but I think we need to figure out what those problems are first to code the solutions for them, which, you know, the royalties thing was a great example of that, right? Where we where we had a situation where we thought it was fine. Like, oh, royalties are, are here, like they work, they're cool. But that was like a social construct, right? We didn't have that fully codified, even though in theory we could have, uh, but it were, you know, would require jumping through some hoops. But it wasn't until it was a problem that we started looking at ways to codify it, right? To like add it to code. So I think it's like it's a maturity thing where we're going to need to go through like a lot of problems before we can codify the regulation in a way that doesn't require governance and just instead requires, you know, smart contracts or technology. I don't know if everything could be solved that way. Like I'd love to think so, but I think like we're maybe a bit early to say we don't need like the regulation kind of stuff, because you take like FTX kind of thing, where it was like somewhere halfway between the, the technology My side thing on and like the financial FTX side. Is that was a problem based on centralization. If you look at any of the real DeFi products, they didn't right. go down. That was just, it was basically a, a bad version of banking. Right, but right, but who's interacting with the blockchain? Is humans, not robots. Mostly. Well, no, it's I mean, mostly it's, robots. Well, obviously, <laughs> so, There's a lot yeah. of robots. Yeah, that's no, right. Yeah. It is mostly robots, but I mean, the problems yeah. are for the humans, sure. not for the robots. And so, like, obviously, we need to solve human problems, like, yeah. over time, is my point. And it's just like, it's. I think a lot of it's solvable. It's just a case of, like, until we run into the problems, we don't really either don't care enough about them to solve them or don't anticipate enough of the detail to solve them properly. And I don't think regulation is necessarily the answer, but I think like if you look at the the you know the history of what you're saying about stocks and stuff like that, that developed in the same kind of way where we just like probably had really simple stuff, where it was just like you know hey, I uh, have a share of your company, like you promise right you're gonna pay me when it's good, and then like we had to start to put a whole bunch of enforcement to those promises, and that's where like the smart contracts you know enforcing the royalties is like an example of that I think, and I hope we get to that point. Nico, where like we could be like stop needing people like you know like Jonas saying like Gensler you know breathing down our necks every two seconds. And three of us are from the U.S. here, so yeah. we feel your pain. Uh, but it's yeah, I would love to get to that point where we could where we could not have all these stupid artificial borders and unnecessary regulations and stuff. And but it'll be a while because obviously the, you also have to deal with the fact that uh, we're trying to do this stuff on a global scale on the blockchain but we do, clearly don't live in a truly yeah. global reality when it comes to regulation and laws and everything. I'd love to think we do, but I mean, the fact that I have to use, you know, Binance.us or FTX.us instead of like just the global one is already like, you know, an example of that. And that that's probably going to get worse before it gets better. How depressing of you, Devin. Sorry, man. I'm optimistic about all of that. Mm -hmm. That's my point. It's mm -hmm. just going to take time. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Good. Um, we're already past 40 minutes. Yeah. So sorry <laughs> about that. One solid topic. <laughs> so, no worries. No, this happens, this happens every week. We just get, we, we say we're going to talk about four <laughs> things and after we're, we're done with one and a half, Maybe we're two. like, oh man, it's yeah. already too long. Yeah, exactly. Yep. All right. So Jonah, like where can people find uh, you? They can find me on Twitter at real Jonah Blake and you'll see a picture of an anime guy. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Jonah Blake. You'll see a picture of a guy who's more of a, Voxelfied version of me. Um, hmm. Yeah, that's really it. <laughs> what do What do we think of of people who use NFT PFPs on on LinkedIn? Depends on the PFP. Um, 
obviously their credibility is going to go down based on the consensus of the network. But honestly, I think LinkedIn as a whole has gone down as a platform. So like, it's either congrats, you got a job. Here's how much money I made and uh, why I think the market will go up and down. And Twitter is a whole other conversation we get out. That'd be another 40 minutes, but Twitter already saw Twitter already offers all of that. Um, and more, uh, I'm worried about Twitter for a few reasons, but I think it won't go away because, um, it just gets news faster than everyone else. And that is plus Mastodon. Well, also who, who wants to join an app called Mastodon? It sounds like a weird dinosaur or something. It's yeah. like, who wants to toot yeah, all day? Well, yeah. So I don't know. Uh, maybe, maybe TikTok. maybe you guys can find me on TikTok at some point. <laughs> so, <laughs> Dude, speaking of Chinese, I don't know. Maybe yeah, not in the U.S., not. Jonah. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Probably not. I didn't even make it uh, to Instagram, so I'm I'm, yeah, I'm way behind. Yeah. I'm so. with you, Nico. No. I didn't either. Yeah. I'm yeah. go back to friends. Just well, just re- <laughs> we'll bring back MySpace. <laughs> so. Yeah. yeah. Come on, Tom. When, when do we get Tom on the show? He, he he won the game. He decided I'll take my few hundred million and I'm I'm gonna go on a boat, and that was it. He won. Yeah. Good for Tom. Good for Tom. Fantastic. All right. Well, uh, Jonah, Devin, and Phil, um, appreciate you joining me and uh, having this this great conversation. We didn't get through all of the topics that we wanted, which means we might have to ask Jonah to come on again so we can we can talk about the topics that we had intended instead of what we ended up talking about, value accrual to fungible versus non-fungible <laughs> <Yeah>. tokens. <laughs> anyway, fun discussion. Um, I enjoyed it. Um, enjoyed your thoughts. And um, yeah, listener, I hope you enjoyed it too. Check out Jonah's content. He... Uh, he puts out some good stuff, some good thoughts. And um, if you want to join the conversation, feel free to join our Discord. And with that, we are out. And we look forward to speaking to you in the next episode. Ciao.